if you are listening or watching, this is the Mito podcast. I'm Ashley. And I'm Megan. And today we have a special guest. Her name is Laura Insco and her daughter, Briley, is who we're going to be talking about, right, Laura? Yes. Yes. Miss Briley. Awesome. So tell us a little bit about Briley before we start, we start asking you any questions. Oh, she is eight months old and she's so beautiful. So beautiful. Her eyelashes reach her eyebrows. It is insane. I wish I had her eyelashes. They're so good. Um, but we found out she had Mido, um, when she was three months old and, uh, quite a long journey to get there, but we're taking it day by day and rolling with it. But, um, She's developmentally delayed, so we're still not holding our head up, which is typical with mito babies. Um, but yeah, that's kind of kind of where we're at right now. So you said she was diagnosed at three months. What was it that caused them to start looking for mito or even just start looking for anything? Um, our pregnancy was pretty typical. So starting out, everything was normal. Um, I felt great, worked out every day. Um, I had been pregnant before with um, Baylor is our three-year-old. And so um, I knew what to expect. And 20-week anatomy scan was perfectly fine. Um, my husband it was in the middle of COVID. So he actually got to go with me to that. And um, I ended up getting um, diabetes when they did the scan, the test at 25 weeks. And it come back that I had it and I figured I probably had it because with Baylor, I only passed by one point. <laughs> so I ended up having to do the three hour, failed it. It was fine. And he said, my OB was like, just take your sugars at home, change your diet. You're good. Don't eat medicine. Don't have to do any of that. So that's what I did. Um, everything was fine. And at the 20 week scan, they said she was really small and, but my son is small. So again, didn't think anything about it. And at 32 weeks, my OB said, let's go in and do a um, check just to make sure, see how she's growing, make sure everything's good since you do have diabetes. Um, just want to be precautious, just look. And I was fine with that. I said, okay, we can, we can do that. And so when we went in, well, I had to go by myself because of COVID. So that was a whole, whole big thing. And during that ultrasound is when they found she had fluid on her brain. And I saw the doctor right after that ultrasound. And he said, um, all I can tell you is there's fluid on her brain. There's something going on up there. We're going to send you across the street to the high risk doctor and they're going to do their tests, do their thing. And they'll take you from there. So I said, okay. So of course I'm freaking out because that's all they told me was something was wrong with her brain. Wasn't anything. They couldn't tell me anything else. And so the next day I go see the high risk doctor COVID. So my husband had to sit out in the car and yeah, so we were there for about four hours. They did an invasive ultrasound, um, asked me about a thousand questions. And all they could tell me was, um, she had ventricular megaly, which is fluid on the brain. And there wasn't anything they could do. They didn't know how it would affect her. They couldn't tell me anything. It was just like, this is what it is. We're going to monitor her. You'll get, you know, ultrasounds twice a week. And, and that's just it. So here I am freaking out because you're left with all of the unknown. I mean, is she okay? I mean, is she going to stop, you know, breathing and, you know, heartbeat, everything, everything goes to your mind. And I actually found a Facebook group about ventricular megaly and all of their babies were fine. They lived with it. Some might have to have a shunt, but it wasn't, I, I felt okay because everyone else was like, you know, don't freak out, enjoy your pregnancy. It's fine. 
And so they told me at the high risk doctor, we're going to have to deliver her at a hospital that can deal with this kind of stuff. I am in Bowling Green, Kentucky and Vanderbilt is an hour away from us. And so everyone's heard of Vanderbilt. They're awesome at everything that they do. And so they induced me at 38 weeks and, um, she was only five pounds, nine ounces when she was born. So, um, IUGR was a a big thing. She was going to be small. And, um, after she was born, they did an MRI ultrasound of her brain, everything, you know, was fine, stable, and they have a NICU, but then they also have a care floor and the care floor is your next step before you go home. So they said, she's fine. She had to have a feeding tube because she couldn't eat, but they said that's typical 38 weeks small. It can happen. So no alarm still. I was happy her vents were stable. You know, everything was great. So we were just learning how to eat. So they get to the care floor. She failed three hearing tests. And so they pretty much told me she was deaf, that she couldn't hear anything. And I know she could hear stuff because I would FaceTime my husband and our son with her and she would react to their voices. So I knew she could hear, um, she could not track light. She wouldn't track anything. And of course we were learning how to eat. So, but nothing set off an alarm yet. I was just a nervous rag being a NICU parent is something that unless you experience it, you don't, you don't know. And so I drove back and forth every day. I would stay all day, come back, get Baylor and my husband situated, do it all the next day. And, um, one day I went and right before I left, of course, when you're hospitalized with a baby that's got medical issues, you get to know your nurses. And so my nurse that day, she said, Hey, we're going to do a lactic acid on her. We're going to pull this lab. Don't really know why, cause that's for cardiac babies, but we're just going to pull it. That's what they want. And in my mind, I'm like, well, they're the doctors, you know, if that's what they want. That's what they want. And, um, so they drew it. I come back the next day and the doctors rounded and they said, Oh, we made a mistake. And we drew that it was meant for the baby next door. It was not meant for Briley. Briley had passed her lactic levels. Um, her, all of her NICU screens were fine and said it, it got mixed up. And so it's dangerously high. Hers was an 8.9 and normals about 2.2. And so just orders got mixed up somehow, which was insane. <laughs> crazy. Yes. Uh, yes. And yeah, I mean, how, how does that, I mean, that does not happen at a, like Vander, a place like Vanderbilt, you know, they're on top of everything. So for them well, to say, well, still we- just to have that mistake made on the, on the best patient that you could have that mistake be made, mm-hmm. you know, of that specific test. Yes. That was crazy. Oh my yes. gosh. God was with her and Briley had guardian angels with her. And it's still, it's so emotional to talk about because huh, just, I'm, I have chills. Yes, you I know me God. too. <laughs> yes. And I, it just, it blew me away. And I ended up, you know, I called my husband and I said, they accidentally did this. It was not meant for her. And the boy, there was a boy next door to us. Our last names were not this close to even being the same. So nothing, there's no way they could have got us mixed up. So, um, but it was an 8.9 and they said, well, we're just going to send more labs off to Baylor university, which I thought was weird because I have a Baylor. <laughs> so our son's name is Baylor. So I was like, okay, kind of weird too. So we're going to send it off there. We're going to figure out 
what's going on. Odds are we're just going to have to change her diet. So I thought, okay, we're just going to change her diet. No, no big deal. They didn't give me anything to worry about. They were really concerned because I couldn't figure out why her lactic level was so high. None of them had ever seen it like that before. And they're like, I don't get it. She passed her newborn screen. It's, you know, we just randomly took one and it's like this now. I, I don't get it. So they were even still at a standstill and we were just like, well, okay, we're at the best place to get answers. So fast forward, Riley learned how to eat. We went home after 28 days and we get home. Life is typical. Um, we still hadn't heard back from genetics on what was going on. So we just kind of took everything by stride. Everything was fine. Well, in September, she got to where she was super fussy all the time, like would cry nonstop. And um, I thought maybe she has colic, maybe it's acid reflux. So I took her back to the pediatrician. We changed up the formula, went on our way, still the same thing. Well, one day she got to where she was super lethargic and was like white and she had been whining and had just kind of, you could just tell she was just super lethargic. And, um, I ended up calling my husband at work and I said, we need to get somewhere now. And my thought was there was pressure on her brain, all that fluid, something was going on. And, um, we ended up, uh, we went, took her to our pediatrician's office and the ambulance service here did not have an ambulance to transport us to Vanderbilt. So they come and got us and took us to Vanderbilt and, uh, Vanderbilt did come and got Riley and took her back. And, um, they couldn't really tell me anything, just thought she had acid reflux. And, uh, we found out they did an EEG in that she was having seizures, but they weren't presenting yet. So they were just kind of in the background and they put her on a medicine and sent us home. And so went home with that. We were good in October. That's when genetics called me and said, we have your results come in. Um, no one told me to bring my husband. They just said, you know, it's COVID bring one, wear your mask, everything. So me and Briley make our trip tonight at Nashville. And we went to that appointment and, um, I walked in and she sat down, the doctor did. And she said, is your husband here? And I said, well, nobody told me to bring him, you know, it's, COVID rules, didn't know. And she's like, okay, she's like, you need to get him on the phone now. And I was like, well, just tell me what's going on first. And then I, I, I can tell him when I get home, like, I'm not going to call him at work. It's fine. And she's like, no, get him on the phone. And that's when she told me Riley is diagnosed with um, a metabolic disorder, which is um, in the mitochondrial pool and it's pyruvate dehydrogenase deficiency. And it is a mutation with the PDHA one gene, which affects the X chromosome. And luckily with girls, girls have two X chromosomes. So, um, in different parts of Riley's body, one X can turn itself on and the other can turn off. So she can do some things. And then other things she might be limited to, they just couldn't, couldn't really tell me. Mm -hmm. And they said, we're going to start her on a keto diet and we're just going to go from there. So they said, we'll call you in about a week and a half, two weeks. We'll start that. And she'll have to stay about a week to be monitored. That, that's just it. So uh, they pretty much told me this is a diagnosis. We don't know how long she's going to live. We'll start keto next week. That's it. And so here I'm freaking out. Don't know what, you know, your world, of course, comes to an end. You don't know. I mean, I didn't even think I heard her tell me the news. It just, your just whole body goes numb, which I know y'all know. It's just like, you'll never forget the feeling. You're just like numb. 
I don't even think I retained it. And I ended up when I got home finding a Facebook group of different parents around the world that have this disease. And there's, I think, 300 of us in the group. And of course, we're scattered. There's some in Australia, California, Texas, everywhere. And so we're all able to ask each other questions and share experience. So I got on there and just kind of shared, hey, we got the diagnosis and families come back and they shared pictures and told us, look, don't don't look at the life expectancy. Look past it and it's all going to be okay. We're here. You can ask anything. Um, Two days after the diagnosis, Briley started having seizures that we could see. And I was holding her one day and noticed she started to jerk. And I sent a video to our pediatrician and she said, call the neurologist. You need to get somewhere. And um, I ended up calling the neurologist and sent her a video of Briley. And she ended up calling back about the time we got to the ER in Nashville and said, you know, it could be the infantile spasms, you know, good thing you brought her in. Mm -hmm. And we learned she has tonic clonic seizures. Mm -hmm. And so they're not harmful to her. She'll just mainly do a little jerk. And um, we stayed after we were admitted, we went ahead and did our seven days of keto. And during that time, her seizure stopped and her lactic acid dropped to a 2.2. So it dropped. So it went from an eight, I think it was an 8.7 when they first drew and then a 2.2 within like three days. So it, it worked for her. And, um, Ever since then, we've been in the hospital one other time for seizures, um, and they just got to where they were every probably five or 10 minutes, and um, they just changed their medicine, did another EEG, and um, up to ratio. So when uh, Briley's uh, keto ratio is on point, what she needs for her body, her seizures stop. And so um, I know sometimes I don't think she even needs a seizure med. I think it's just getting that ratio down, but that's where, where we're at now. We haven't been to the hospital since right before Thanksgiving. So um, everything's going pretty smooth right now. So do you actually keep her on a keto diet? How does that, I've, I've never heard of an actual baby being on. Yeah. So she, um, she is a, ba- a powder base. So what you would go get at Walmart, um, we're on, it's called Elicare. Mm-hmm. And um, I never even heard of that formula until that we started on it. So it's, that's the base. And then she's on what's called keto which is the actual keto like drink. So you, people can drink straws and drink it out of the actual package. Um, but I mix that in there and then we have what's called a microlipid and that's her fat mm-hmm. and they just adjust the ratio. So she's on a high fat, low carb, and that's how her body gets the energy. And we're also on, um, thiamine for energy. And so we also take that as a supplement and, um, sodium bicarb because, um, that level is low and usually is with kids that are on keto. Um, so yeah, so I have to pre-make it every day. I get the recipe, mix it up. That's what she eats and she eats by mouth. So, um, which is really good. So yeah, how, we just, how long uh, did she have the feeding to? Cause and it was through the nose, correct? Not yep, through the nose. And it was for a week and a half in the NICU. Okay. And, um, I, she wouldn't eat for the nurses, but when I would go, she would, she would eat. And so my nurses would joke and they were like, it's mom's touch. Like she knows, she knows. <laughs> and so, um, we've never had a feeding tube since she's taken everything by mouth, uh, which I'm completely thankful for because a lot of uh, babies with PDCD have, um, 
her feeding tubes, G-tubes, all of it. So extremely thankful we're still there. She um, has a possibility to swallow. What is, so has she had like her eyes tested again and her hearing tested again? Where is that now at eight months? So uh, we've had two other ABRs and um, she's failed them both like bomb them, not, not pass it off. She had hearing aids in the beginning and we noticed she had a shut place in November because, um, pressure built up and she was just miserable. And after the shunt, we noticed she could hear so much better. She reacts to our voices. She can hear toys, but her test suggests otherwise. And so we actually go see, um, her audiologist next week for, uh, an actual hearing test and not an ABR. They had us do ABRs and where there was so much fluid, which they've never been able to really see her brain because they've all the fluid. And um, they said, well, ABRs really aren't compatible with brainstem issues or problems. So it's not accurate. So this happens all the time. You know, kids come in here, they fail an ABR that have neurological problems that can go home and parents say they hear stuff. So I know it's not accurate. So I think that's why they're going to go ahead and do the hearing test and go from there. But she can hear and as far as her eyes, we've seen, um, I took her to the eye doctor at Vanderbilt and they really couldn't tell me, tell me anything, but, um, looking back through our group, most of these babies have what's called cortical vision impairment. And I, I'm, I think that's what Briley has. We go see a neuro, it's a neurological ophthalmologist, which didn't even know that was a thing, um, <laughs> to, uh, get further checked out, but she still doesn't track. Um, she'll look at something and then kind of look, look away and then look right back. Um, it takes her a few minutes. Um, she sees different colors better than others. Um, and she does better in an environment where there's not a lot going on. So typically I put her in our bedroom where it's just kind of quieter and she's super content. That's so interesting that you said that because I, my son, he has a mitochondrial disease, but he was also diagnosed about six months ago with Milan syndrome and CVI is a big component of that, that many of the kids have. And I, I didn't even know what that was. And I know he has a pale optic nerve. And so that's something, so she. yeah, we've been trying to get into, like you said, a neurological mm -hmm. ophthalmologist, which, you know, once again, we go to the eye doctor, but that's not enough. And so I've just been researching so much about CVI lately. And there's actually Facebook groups, um, for CVI and they have some pretty interesting information. Um, oh, I'll have to look that up then. Yeah. I actually literally just watched, um, a video of, um, kind of a symposium type thing that they did and it showed what some children with CVI are able to see. And it just talked about their behavior and how so many things are components of their vision. Um, like you said, how you have to put her in your room where it's quiet, yeah. it's too much stimulus, too many things going on. They just, it's their vision. They can't, they can't yep. see and it doesn't transfer the information and they just shut down yeah, or they exactly. have behavior issues. So yeah, yep. that's really interesting. I just, you know, we always talk about it being a journey and you learn so much different stuff. It's like, that's the newest thing that we've been looking into with my son and just seeing, you know, how it affects him. And as soon as this COVID is done, he's going to the neurological ophthalmologist for sure. That's definitely one of our priorities. Yeah. We saw, I saw in the group, that's everyone was like CVI, CVI, CVI. So I went and looked it up and literally every bullet point, it was everything Briley does, everything. And they said, um, when they looked in her eye, in the back of her eye, like everyone else's should be orange and hers were like yellow, super pale, 
Um, there was no pressure from the fluid. It, they just, that's all they could tell me. So then I started doing, you know, of course my own research and I was like, that's, that's gotta be it. So, so I'm anxious to see what, what they say, because it, it hit the nail on the head. You know, I, I think, yeah. I think and it, a lot of the times too, I don't think her brain registers what she sees either. So it, it takes her a minute to say, oh, Hey, and that's why she just keeps going back. She can, you know, she knows it, she knows it's there, but it just takes her a few minutes. Yeah. It's, it's a really um, interesting thing to learn about. So when you guys did the genetic testing, which genetic test did they do? Meaning like, did they do saliva, blood or a blood, blood, okay. blood. And then when we got the results, they tested me and I was negative and they gave me a kit for my husband and they said we could do it for him. If we decided to have more kids, which we're done, we're not going to have any more. Um, but if, um, if he didn't have it and I didn't have it, I think another parent said it was one in a billion chance of this happening. It was like, it's the rarest thing ever. And as our genetic doctor said, it's just that one gene. That's it. One tiny gene. That's all, all it took. Yeah. So yeah, it was just blood and that's, that's it. But of course, with this disease, it's not the actual disease itself. That's the problem because the keto keeps the lactic level down and, and sometimes they get, might get to about a three, which is fine. Two to three is pretty stable for a PDCD kid, but it's everything that comes with it. We see, I think non-specialists and I mean, you name it, we see them neurosurgery, neurology. I had to take her to a GI because we're having a lot of stomach problems, ophthalmology. Um, she still has a couple tiny little holes in her heart, our heart. So um, we see the heart darker for that. Um, hip dysplasia is a big thing. We, um, both of her hips are dislocated. So she's going to have to have, um, hip surgery to fix those. And, um, we see, of course, ENT, um, for her ears as well. Audiology It's just everything that comes with it. She's in a helmet right now. I don't know if you've seen my Facebook pictures, but we're in a helmet because her head is put flat on one side. So we've got, you know, we're going to that, um, so it's, it's a journey. I, I feel like I'm a doctor some days because you're constantly <laughs> researching and looking like, you know, could it, could it be this? Could it be that? Because doctors don't know a lot about these diseases. And it is crazy to me that we were in 2021 and they don't know we're still there. We you always know? talk about that. Yeah, <laughs> it's insane to me. <laughs> You know, I think it, we've said that, I don't know, five probably every podcast <laughs> when we got, yeah, when we got the diagnosis, she actually, the doctor printed out a web MD form from the internet <laughs> and gave it to me. So when I went home and was researching, I found that on web MD, the exact same thing. So mm -hmm. that, that told me right there, but there's another baby um, that's in the Nashville area that has Riley's disease. So they were, they knew along the lines of what steps to take, um, of course we're all different. So, but they kind of knew, knew where to go. So that made me feel a lot better, but yeah, they just, they don't know. And you just advocate all the time. I think one of the positive things that you, when I hear about your case that you've experienced is just the fact that you actually have a diagnosis so early mm -hmm. on. I mean, that's, that's pretty amazing. We talked to a lot of people, even my son wasn't diagnosed till he was two and a half and we have specialists here in San Diego. Yeah. Um, so the fact that you were, she's diagnosed at eight months old, that's, that's, that's amazing. Yeah. 
that's really good. Yeah, if they hadn't have accidentally done that, um, we would probably still be waiting for genetic testing waiting. And, you know, the times that we were hospitalized before we got the diagnosis, I truly believe her body was shutting down and her body just was not functioning. She slept all the time. She was miserable and, um, we're extremely lucky and extremely blessed because if not for that one mistake, um, I don't know where, where we would be or if she would even be with us because, um, she was starting to struggle when she was born. She was five pounds, nine ounces. And, um, in August, she was just barely over six. So she wasn't gaining weight at all, at all. And at eight months old, she's only 12 pounds. So it's, it's a struggle for her to even put on weight or even grow. But I, I don't know where we would be. I, I told my husband, we caught it the earliest we could have because with y'all's podcast and even going and searching social media at different families, they don't find out till later. Yeah. And I couldn't imagine, mm-hmm. you know, 18 months, year, two years, you know, yeah. we, we were lucky. It was early. The earliest I think we could have ever have, have done yeah. it. Yeah. Um, so do you guys have a mito doctor then? No, no, mm-hmm. no, no. And I don't think there's one anywhere close to us. Um, they just kind of go off. I think what they know from the other family and yeah. then just kind of, you know, go from there and Vanderbilt is expanding their ketogenic clinic. Um, and the keto of course stops the seizures helps with everything going on neurologically. So, um, so they know their stuff as far as that, but as far mm-hmm. as actual mito disease, no, they, they don't know. You know what I wish? I wish, I know it's like hard in 2021. I don't know, maybe, maybe we're on the cusp of this, but I think it would be great if we had mito doctors that were able to like zoom with patients. And I know that's hard because you can't be one-on-one and I'm sure that that's like a big hurdle because you don't want to be sued for suggesting something and then it not working out and right main purpose of not physically seeing them but hopefully like I don't know in the next couple of years maybe that's something that in the medical field that they could expand with where the mito doctor is talking to your main physician or or at least one of the specialists that you have to work with because like you said when we were listing them all off like we have 10 to 20 to 30 specialists for our children so it would be I think that would be a huge asset if we could find enough mito doctors to be able to have like office hours where you could just be one-on-one and talk to a parent. Cause I mean, essentially that's all it is. I mean, whenever, yeah. whenever Angie and I and Andrew would go in, we would talk to Dr. Haas. I mean, yeah, he would look at her, but it was more us telling him everything. Mm-hmm. Like gathering information about yeah. what's happened in the last year or six months or. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like that would help so many more families because like you said, like, I mean, in Kentucky, I don't, I'm trying to, think. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to have to, I'm gonna look at the map because I, I know it, I'm really bad. <laughs> I need to see distances and see how far states are from each other. Well, I, I, well, I was listening to one of y'all's podcasts and y'all were talking about, you know, y'all had mito doctors in San Diego. And I was like, I wish we had something like that here, you yeah. know, and our, really our two choices are either Vanderbilt or Norton's. And, um, I think they're in, um, Ohio, Indiana, Ohio, one of, uh-huh. one of the two. Um, so our pediatrician was like, if you ever have problems out of Vanderbilt, you know, send her 
to Norton, go to this hospital, you know, if they're not going to do what you need them to do, which yeah. Vanderbilt's great. They're, they're fine. Um, but yeah, we don't have anything, anything like that here. And as you said, I just, I, I she's with me all day. I stay at home. So, um, she's with me all day and if something's off, I know it. And, um, the good thing about Vanderbilt is, um, we have a portal so I can write the doctors and they get back to me usually the same day, um, yeah. with stuff. So that's, it's really good. And her dietitian too is wonderful. I call around the portal. They get right back to me. We get everything solved, but it just, we just don't have anybody here that knows it. Yeah. You know, I, I didn't know about the keto diet with lactic acid. I knew everything else that you said, but with that, I, that's the first time I've ever heard of that. Yeah. And I wish yeah. I had known that. Cause I would have a thousand percent had Angie on that kind of a diet. Cause her lactic acid was gosh, the first time I think it was around eight and then they went to retest it. Cause they're like, Oh, maybe she was stressed out. Maybe the, like when the person was taking her blood, something had happened. And then yeah. the second time we got it back, I think it was at like 15 oh, or something like that, 13 or 15. But, um, and she was breastfed, but when we got her G2, she had to have formula at night. So I wish I had known that because that yeah. definitely would have been something I would have at least tried. Um, cause that's also really good. F- I mean, not a hundred percent of the time, but I've heard from a lot of parents, it's really good for like epilepsy, mm-hmm. um, yeah. but it does depend on the, the kind of epilepsy you have, the kind of seizures that you have. So yeah. I'm glad that you guys found that and that that yeah. is working well. That's good. Yeah. It's, as soon as we started, you could just see she started to come alive. I got a little grin and while we were in the hospital, like it completely turned her around and I didn't imagine it would bring that lactate level down to a 2.2. I, I could not believe it. And you could just see the instant change. Now, of course, like today, um, which they haven't drawn her lactic acid in a while. So I'm, I'm anxious to see, um, we'll do labs next month, but, um, of what it is now, cause we've adjusted her ratio a couple, couple different times. But as I said, even if her lactic level was up there, I mean, really the keto diet's the only thing that's going to keep that down. Yeah. So you just kind of, you do it, you just hope it, hope it works. But we have some days where she's awake a lot and she's kicking and moving and, um, she feels great. And there's other days where she sleeps most of the day and I let her sleep and let her rest, you know? So that's been the biggest struggle for me because I had Baylor on a schedule. I knew what he was going to do it and when he was going to do it. Like my life was planned. We didn't go anywhere unless he had already had his nap. And so it is, you know, a little different adjusting. And then of course, you have to be careful who you expose, you know, mitral babies around. So we only see a certain few people that I know are safe and tested and don't have to worry. And then, you know, we say home, we're on, we're still on lockdown, you know, how, how old is Baylor three? He'll be four next month. And did they test him at all for anything? No. So he is completely fine. Your typical boy. I asked if, he would be affected or would his kids be affected? And the genetic doctor said, no, that he got his ex from me. And so, and where I was negative, he has nothing, nothing to worry about. So um, how, how is he handling everything? You know, he is absolutely obsessed with her. He thinks he's got to be all over her. 
And I'm like, scoot back so she can see you. Let her breathe. You know, he's so obsessed, but you know, he doesn't know the difference in her being delayed or that she can't sit up and, you know, he knows she's special and, um, he loves her. So, and he was so excited about being a big brother. Could not stand it. Like, and of course he's so jealous. Like he, he's a daddy's boy. So if dad's got her, he's like, me, 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 <laughs> let mom have sister. Um, cause Riley craves physical touch. So in the afternoons when he's home, one of us has got her cause she just loves to be held. That's her thing. She wants somebody to touch her. If she's being touched, she's good. So, yeah. and I'm like, you know what? I'll hold you all day. If that's what you want, you know, <laughs> so, but Baylor's great. That's sweet. Yeah. And how's your husband doing? He's good. He's good. Of course he still works. So he's gone during the day and I have our, we're Riley's in actually a really good routine. So we, you know, stay on our routine and, um, he gets home and loves on her. And, um, of course I had her last July. So this summer is really going to be a learning curve for us as far as, um, you know, getting out and her, you know, Riley's boundaries, what she can and can't do. And cause I know, um, babies with PDCD sometimes can't regulate their temperature, which we've never had a problem with. So kind of have to watch and kind of see what's going to go on, but yeah, uh, it's starting to warm up here in Kentucky. So we're, we're loving it getting outside. It's, it's that was my, my next question. So I'm glad you answered it. Cause I was like, yes. Ooh, it's going to be hot and humid. <laughs> yes, I know. Well, and the bad thing is like, we have her hip surgery scheduled for the end of July. And, um, we're like, she's going to be in double cast. You know what, you know, what are we going to do? So she can't hold her head up yet. So we're trying to figure out if we, I would like to push that back to at least when it's colder outside, when you know, you're not going to leave so that, you know, it's easier to manage. Cause of course ha- having a toddler, you know, he's going to want to get out and run and yeah. play. And so it, it does, I don't want to limit him and make him feel a certain type of way because of her. And I don't want him to ever, you know, resent her or, or feel a certain type of way. So, yeah. um, so yeah, but I'm, I'm excited for it to get warm. We have a vacation set up. We're going to the beach. I'm like, we're going, we're going to enjoy, enjoy ourselves. Um, Baylor's never seen the beach. So I'm like, let's go. Awesome. So we're, we're ready. Has Briley been under anesthesia before? Yes. She, um, had to have a sedated CT done, um, to check her ears. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, this was before she had, um, her diagnosis and it took her a while to come out of it. She was a little groggy, but since having the diagnosis and she got the shunt, um, they, um, use a different, um, type of, of mm-hmm. stuff for her. Uh, I can't remember what it is that she can't have like completely went blank. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's what I was just going to ask because mitochondrial disease usually, yes. like my son takes forever to come out of anesthesia and we do not have any procedures done unless, you know, they're really important. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and it's definitely and on the UMDF website, they have um, an anesthesia protocol uh, paper that you can always print out and look at the different ones. But yeah, it sounds like you already, yeah. your doctors are already on top of it. Vanderbilt knew it before we even went in. They were like, this doesn't need to be in her IV. Yeah. She does not need this. Um, is it dextrose? It's something like that, that she cannot have. Dextrose uh, is the, um, the, what do I want to call it? the solution? Like the food kind of solution that they give. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's not necessarily the, um, 
the anesthesia. I can't remember, like there's propofol and there's all there's these. so much. Yeah, yeah. There's but so much. But when we, yeah, when we went into that shunt surgery, they knew, you know, that's one of the first things they said. They, of course, asked what she's allergic to. And I'm like, sugar. <laughs> so, of course, they know. But, you know, during her shunt surgery, she did fine. She was, of course, groggy, but it she come out a bit better than oh, the time yeah. before. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Well, it sounds like you've had quite the journey in your, your little eight months. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I've always heard the first year, you know, is, is the hardest, you know, and especially once you get the diagnosis and then it's not just the diagnosis, it's everything that comes with it and all the different specialists you see. So uh, yeah. it's been a long eight months, but as I said, I'm thankful um, we got the diagnosis as early as we did. Well, it sounds like you guys are doing an amazing job. So thank you. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Thank you so much for, for joining us on the podcast. We appreciate being able to talk to you and hear your story. Oh no. Thank you guys for having a podcast. I had left an appointment one day and I was like, you know, I wonder on this long drive home, if there's a podcast, you know, <laughs> made for Mito parents and I found you guys and I was like, hooked because you hear everyone's stories, you know, it makes you not feel as lonely. I mean, you guys know it's, it's hard. And some days are, you know, just horrible. And so just to know, hear somebody else's story, know where they've been and know you're not alone. Um, it, it was awesome. So every time we drive to Nashville, I turn you guys on and <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Oh I'm so happy. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it. So thank you guys for having an outlet so people can share their stories. And, um, I know what's helped me listening to other parents and know that we're all going through it. We're all in it together. Well, is there anything else that you wanted to tell everyone? Is there anything, any advice or just, just one foot in front of the other one foot in front of the other day by day. And it does get better. You know, I'm thankful for our good days and we have our bad days, but you know, everyone has bad days. So it's not, not anything that, you know, we can't handle and trust your mom instincts because it is, it is true. My mom instincts have not failed me yet. So if you think something's wrong, you know, trust yourself. No, definitely. Well, thank you again for joining us. I appreciate it. Or we both appreciate it. (laughs) Um, If you're, you are listening to the Mito podcast, if you have any questions or suggestions for future podcasts, please contact us at the, uh, I almost said the <laughs> mitopodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, on Instagram, YouTube, and on Spotify. Um, thank you again. We really appreciate it. Thank you guys. <laughs>